The Blobcast, sponsored by PHS. My name's Carly, and I started my period when I was 11. Hi, I'm Kate, and I got my period when I was 12 years old. My name is Rachel, and I started my period when I was 11. Hi, my name is Annie Rose Nickelbanes, and I started my period when I was 15. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I started my periods when I was 11 years old. Hi, I'm Amy, and I got my first period at age 10. Hello, and welcome to The Blobcast. Here at the Blobcast, we want to free the period. What does that mean? It means periods shouldn't cost us money. How do we even begin to achieve this? We think open conversations about periods are the start. Shame and stigma around bleeding and menstruation has ruled for too long. My name is Casey Robinson. I'm a period educator, and that means I go into schools and workplaces to talk about all things periods. I'm also a diversity and inclusion educator. In this limited series of the Blobcast, we'll be talking to some of my favourite activists, commentators and charities that work in this area. The one thing we all share is a passion for periods, a passion for open conversations. Many of you will have heard the term period poverty. We're not going to use that phrase here because research shows that people in that situation feel uncomfortable with it. We're going to use the phrase period equality, which is more than affordability. It's about awareness, understanding and again, back to those open conversations. Today's episode is all about the shame. Why is there so much shame and stigma around our periods? Where does it come from? How do we change that? And how can men help to do this? My first guest today is Molly Fenton, a 20-year-old campaigner who, along with her teenage brother and sister, started the Love Your Period charity, providing period products to those in need. She can often be found with her 16-year-old sister Tilly on TikTok, dancing and highlighting the issues of period equity. My second guest today is Richard Etherington Benson. He is a friend of mine and works with Beyond Equality, a charity that gets men and boys to rethink masculinity. He's here to talk about the role that cis men can play in periods. He's also a yoga teacher and he's a facilitator for the Good Night Out campaign, which is a prevention charity in the nighttime economy space. He's asked me to say that he hasn't seen his chin since his 20s. Anyone who is seeing this will see he's got a very big beard. Thank you both for being here. Okay, so as I said, we are here to talk about shame. Obviously, one of the main ways we get rid of shame is to talk about it and what's kind of supporting it, surrounding it. I've got a couple of stats and facts from our sponsor, PHS, who have done extensive research in this area. And so they found that 41% of people with periods feel they need to hide that they are on their periods due to period shame. Molly, how does that feel like a stat for you? Does that feel representative does it 41 percent? does it feel like more does it feel like less based on the work that you do um i'm surprised it's low that okay low, that to feels be low. honest as a young person i completely you know i understand where it comes from i feel that shame and i find it very difficult in the work that i do to try and separate my own experiences versus the work that I do, because before, you know, this was just like a little project for me to do. It wasn't intended to become what it has become. And from my experiences, I've never had a good period. I don't like them. Love your period is rather ironic because no. <laughs> you don't. No. Because <laughs> you don't. <laughs> so um, I don't know what younger me was thinking, putting that as the name, but it's more around, you know, the acceptance of this is what it is. And actually it's seeing the good side, but that's very hard for people to see, especially when... 
you know, when we look at everything that surrounds the shame and stigma, we're thinking of lack of education, lack of access. Everything joins together. So if we're teaching young people that these products need to be hidden away, also then we're saying, right, you're on your own no education, you're fine. Of course, that shame's going to be there. But yeah, I am shocked that it is that low. But as a young person, I completely understand why someone would feel shame around their period. Yeah, for sure. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I guess always, I mean, I I tend to say this all the time, we're looking at numbers, right, is the idea that if it's that number we've got on the piece of paper, it's probably a bit higher, if not a lot higher, because especially on a topic like periods, especially on a topic like shame around periods, is that also getting data around that and asking people questions about it isn't always going to give you the best insight. And people sort of have these kind of feelings, should I say this, should I say that? So I think it's really important to think about, like, I guess, low-key embarrassment that comes from it. Um, But it was really interesting. It said that from this kind of, like, 41% that had said that they felt the need to hide them, 49% of that group then said that was due to, like, embarrassment and social etiquette. And, like, social etiquette for me is a a fascinating phenomenon, right? This idea that there are these sort of rules about society and how we should behave and how we shouldn't. None of us really know where they came from, like, but they're just something that's there that exists. And so, yeah, this idea that in terms of etiquette, we should not be talking about our periods, showing period products, hiding them. Again, essentially, from everybody, right? I think that's the thing is that even if we're in, like, mixed gendered environments or single gendered environments. There's no real space where we're super open about this. Do you agree? A hundred percent. I think it's a very, I know this is an issue all over the world, but I feel it's a very British thing for us to be hiding it yeah. and pretending. See, even me then saying it instead of my period, right? that's something that's just like ingrained from mm-hmm. me growing up. And I was lucky enough to have that education from my mum briefly, but I've never ever, even now, I would, wouldn't talk to her about my period. It's just not something I do. I come and tell everyone else, but I don't feel able to sit down with my mum and say, look, I've got this issue or that issue or... And I've never, always not wanted to go to the doctor. I've left it until it was, things got really bad for me to turn up and go, you know what, I'm having an issue. Because you just feel that embarrassment, but also that experience where doctors have turned around and said, oh, well, I don't know what we can do. You can go home, have a cup of tea and have a bath. Like, that's the type of advice you get around it. And we can't assume that all young people are also getting this education from their parents. Yeah. Today, more than ever, they're not having that. So that needs to be coming from somewhere else. And as you say, it all links back to the shame because we're teaching that they should be hiding these products, which isn't right. But the only way we're going to get through to that is by, you know, no one's born with that shame. We learn it. Let's say everyone's at a one. Yeah. And we need people to be acting at a 10 to get it in the middle. So people feel that they can't even say the word period, like I changed it to it then. And we need people, campaigners, educators, those who have a platform or are influencing young people to be going above and beyond to be able to get some sort of neutral ground. Because at the end of the day, it's a natural bodily function. Yeah, we're still having a really rough time with it. And it's funny because and I do the workshops with um, and we usually separate them with like girls and boys. Right. And. The girls are sometimes absolutely like aghast to hear that we are doing period workshops with the boys. Sometimes a bit more outraged than the boys are. The boys are like, yeah, okay, like, whatever. And then the girls are like, but why are you doing that with them? What are you saying? What are you going to talk about? What are you showing them, right? And they get this almost like anxiety around it. And so again, like the idea, and we talk about things like coded language, like you said, you've just called it it, but like we will call it all kind of different names to hide the fact that we're talking about periods, the classic slip your tampon or your pad up your sleeve trick, all these kind of things. Even the idea that men would talk about it or boys would talk about it 
is also a bit like scary and anxiety inducing to to women and young girls. So I'm going to ask you, Richie. You're a man. I am. You are. I haven't even said anything yet, and I'm so far out of my depth. <laughs> you're this not, right, you're asking, right, but this is the thing. So this is like the, this is the context for why Richie is here, right? Is that the idea is that this conversation should be a shared conversation, right? So, right of course, as a cis man, you're not going to be an expert on periods. I suspect. I am don't not. Have a period. However, you do work with men and boys. You do work with men and boys, particularly on conversations that we would consider taboo. What, or what could you even share, maybe, that would give us a bit of an insight into, like, men and conversations around period, or boys and having conversations around periods? Okay, let's start with the macro, right? Okay. Um, but actually, no, just feeling, like, vibing off what you were saying before about, like, talking to boys about it and the girls being a bit, like, fearful or shameful about what the boys are talking about it. That's because I think there's an element of knowing how boys operate and, like, they know that the boys will think of things and find things in there that they want to weaponize yeah. and use back against them right so it's like that knowledge of that i think is in there as well okay the macro on men and boys talking about periods they don't <laughs> like they don't i think it's an area where curiosity is not even encouraged in an incapacity no it's very very much hidden from view actually extremely hidden from view i remember my period education if you can call it an education. Are we going to call it an education? Yeah, no. well, lowercase e if we're going okay. with, right? Uh, was just learning about it through humour, if you can call it humour, lowercase h. Mis misogynistic humour, sexist yeah. humour, that kind of humour, Yeah, right? extremely sexist, misogynistic humour and jokes. And that being the only kind of things that I understood. No one ever spoke to me about periods. My peers, my sister, family, nobody. And that continues. It's only through, like, having generous enough, like, friends or partners who are willing to, like, step forward and do some of the emotional labor to educate you that I've learned anything. Yeah. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of men and male identifying folk. And I imagine that, like, it's going to remain that way until I think men, A, lean into that conversation and actually start going past the humor because the humor is discomfort right mm -hmm. you make a joke if you don't understand something you're fearful of something you don't get it so like that's where the joke just comes from and i think we the only way to move past it is to stop using like the euphemisms around it so like calling it what it is menstruation periods and also just like challenging the jokes and being like come on and we're still making the same lazy lazy jokes the blobcast wanted to find out how gender affects behavior and shame out in the real world i know for me in secondary school there was this one guy that i had like a handbag and you know you have the little period bag or the little yeah. period tin and he pulled that out and started going through it and he started throwing my tampons across the classroom, throwing my pads across the classroom, throwing my ibuprofen and whatever else I had. And just like, oh, you know, I just got hit in the head by Sophie's tampon and it was like a massive thing. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, what, what's wrong with you? It's not funny. And it did happen to me in college, like this year with boy in my class. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't funny. Yeah. Like, it is just a period product. Like, I don't know why you find it so funny. I don't personally say anything about it, but I reckon there's still, like, there's bound to be someone out there who have, like, a negative comment about it and it'll make, like, the person, like, self-conscious. And to avoid that, they keep it 
as quiet as they can. Yeah, I, I agree. Even the secondary school, I've not really come across anything like that. It's just been pretty calm, pretty tame. Nobody's it's like, quiet, isn't it? yeah, no, no. It's people don't really talk about it, but then they, it's something embarrassing, isn't it? It's not really embarrassing. That's that's what it's been portrayed as. Mm. Yeah, but to us, it isn't embarrassing. But oh, yeah, we yeah. don't. Yeah, go for them, them for them, it is. No, yeah, okay. That's what I meant. I have three older sisters and I live with my mum, but I never really went through any of that stuff because I'm the youngest out of all my siblings. Like, I've got a 10-year gap between them. And I won't say, like, who, but whenever someone did talk about it, they would, like, talk in code. I'm not sure whether it was because they was embarrassed or, like, self-conscious or that's just how they've always said it. But they'd always talk, like, say, I'm going to get some women's things, things like that. They wouldn't like use a specific like word of a product. And so kind of thinking about the idea is like the way that we hide it, this idea that it isn't kind of like talked about. And even if I do like workshops with young boys, like young men or adult men, right, in the workshops, they're all kind of like, oh, I don't really know why I should be here, right? Like the boys are like, oh, we don't have periods. And men are kind of like, should I be here? You know, sometimes we'll set it up and they're like, I feel like I'm taking up space. And then my sort of like back to that is that we live in a mixed world. We are consistently in a room with somebody of a different gender, background, difference to us. And so having a little bit of knowledge about something so that you can be supportive or a little bit empathetic or just get it a little bit more when the time comes as opposed to like the shotgun jokes that come out or the, you know, instant just, oh, gross, right? Like, that would be sometimes men's instant responses. Oh, gross. So just to know that it's something healthy, something that's natural, something that's important, something that can really affect somebody's life. And then when I sort of say that back, they're all like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool, right? Let, let's yeah, go on. Sure, sure. Yeah, fine, no problems. Period products are being provided in schools. We know that essentially from the data of PHS that 94% of secondary schools are claiming free period products to give to their learners. However, more than half of girls, 59%, have basically said that they didn't know that those products are there. They're not aware that their school is taking part in that. So I don't know if either, Molly, you want to feed in here with your work in that. I know that's a really core part of what you do. Like, what is the issue here? So that statistic that you just said was for England. Now, I... Thank you um, for reminding me. <laughs> I told Molly to remind Maybe. me because I knew I'd forget. So that statistic was for England. Great job. So for the male teachers, I find, are more open about okay. periods than the female teachers. Really? Yes. In, Very interesting. In Wales, that is by a huge amount. I need to do some research on it because I need to know. I find it very, very difficult to work with female teachers. They don't want products in their classrooms. They find it very embarrassing. And when it comes to education, a lot of the teachers have turned around and said, I feel like I'm going off my own personal experience. And I completely agree. No teacher should ever have to link this mm -hmm. to a personal experience. When I'm doing any of my work or my workshops, I never, ever bring my period into it. It's not something that I would do. The latest survey, Love Your Period, did. we spoke to 3,000 school pupils and 97.7% said that they didn't even know that the scheme wow. existed. And we're four years down the line of free products and 97% of those pupils I spoke to don't know. Love Your Period, um, my bedroom is half products. <laughs> I have to scurry around it to get to where I need to be and jump over it to get to bed at night. And um, I use them to give out. So anyone can contact me via all our social media pages that we set up solely so that people could contact us. Okay. And we have loads and loads of messages a day and probably 
I'd say a year ago when we started it, it was maybe once or twice a week, someone would come and pick up products and then regular people would come monthly as they needed them. Now we are giving out at least to two families a day and we don't have enough products to keep on top of, but more places have got free products more than ever. So it's like the hard bit's done. The money's been allocated and the products are there. The products are there. But what's getting in the way of getting them out is the shame, which yeah. is what I don't understand. Because the difficult bit is funding it. I like to go in as like a secret shopper, or we like to call it the period police. Um, <laughs> but they I, they don't know who I am, or if they would know who I am, I send in someone else. All schools and hubs have reusable products. And they're still let's say in June when I go in, wrapped up in the cling film in the cupboard. They haven't been opened. They're not available in the toilets. They're behind a locked door and students aren't told about them. There's no signs, no posters, nothing in the toilets to say that it's there. You know, we're still living in a world where only one cubicle has a sanitary bin. And it just, you know, there are so many things that, and I feel that's why it's getting in the way, but that survey really shocked me because I expect it to be high but not that high especially four years down the line um so which is wild to me right (laughs) like the idea that you've got all these products like in my mind I would put them in the loose exactly that's the place that that's the first place I would think to put them which I suppose again like brings us back which I, I we can only assume right brings us back to this idea of like shame and secrecy that if they're in the loose they're very visible they're very in your face right be that being individual cubicles be that a box like next to the sinks I know that schools are set up differently in terms of toilets but realistically like I don't know you can agree and disagree that seems like a logical decision no to put them in the loose but it's not happening doing those what should be normal ordinary things such as putting them in the toilets themselves will help get rid of that stigma. Yeah, I feel like there's lots of little things that we can all do. You know, like when we talk about the environmental crisis, we're all stopping using plastic water bottles. And everyone thinks, oh, it's only one thing, but it builds up. plastic water bottle onto the floor. Oh, dear. We all do little things, and that adds up. So, I, you know, I see loads of places I go now, um, whereas, let's say, two years ago, there wouldn't be products available anywhere, whereas now you can go into a cafe or a restaurant and they have them out and they're ready for you. Just those little actions that we can all make would make things better. And when it comes to shame, I really believe we have to start with the younger years. I feel like we've missed that we're not going to change people's minds uh, of the old generation. I don't think I'd like to think there's a bit of hope. I'd like to think (laughs) there's a bit of hope at least. (laughs) My granddad doesn't even know what I do and he doesn't want to know what I do. That's true. My grandma does say several times, when's Casey going to get a real job? (laughs) Oh my gosh, yes, I've heard that one. Um, But, you know, if we put our focus onto... Because looking at this, this is a shame that's been around for hundreds, thousands of years. We're not going to be able to fix this in five or 10. And I know the government have, like the Welsh government have a five-year plan, which I think is a bit unrealistic. You know, we can't get all of this done in five years. But if we start at a point and put our effort into that point, then I really think we can change things over time. There's no quick fix to something that's been ingrained in all of us from the start. The Blobcast spoke to two Welsh international footballers, Charlie Escort and Lily Woodham, who play for their clubs... Birmingham and Reading, as well as for their country Wales. We managed to grab them on a Zoom between training to talk all things period. At the Blobcast, we're all about destigmatizing periods, and we wanted to talk to Charlie and Lily about how they as role models can really make a difference when it comes to diminishing shame around periods. 
I think it's got a lot more open in the last couple of years. I think when I was younger, coming up through the age groups, it wasn't, periods weren't really spoken about when I was 13, 14, 15. And then I think even my first few years in professional football, I don't, I never really heard people speaking about periods. And then maybe three years ago, I feel like there was a big thing now about periods and understanding how your period affects you play in and how sometimes that can mean you're more likely to be injured. And it's very dependent on where you are. I think some teams are very open and on it with periods and want to work with you to understand what works best for you. And some are a bit further behind in that sense. Yeah, because obviously we have to do monitoring and stuff. And like there's like a section where it says if you're on or not, whereas ages ago that wouldn't have monitoring wasn't even a thing. Professional footballers train almost every day, so of course, at one point or another, they'll be training when on their period. Traditionally, football shorts have been white, but the blogcast wanted to know Charlie and Lily's thoughts about what would happen if that changed. Who's the team, Charlie, that did that? Man City have changed their short colour. They were men to be wearing white shorts this season and they wear burgundy now. I don't mind not changing shorts, but I do think there should be... Like there's undershorts that you can get, which are also absorbent. So if you do leak through, it won't come through the undershorts. And I think that would be really helpful if they were available when you had to wear white shorts just to feel a bit more comfortable. So we've got a blue pair of shorts and a white pair. And I, was, I know I feel if I am on way more comfortable in the blue shorts. If I'm on, I'm like, oh, I found them in blue, like is what it is. Whereas when we put in the whites, I know I'm a bit more conscious about it. I've seen it happen to one person before where they had, they'd leaked through like in the warm up, but the kit man always has luckily extra shorts. So she was able to just change her shorts over, but that will obviously then be in her head for the rest of the game because you don't want to be on TV and there's blood on your shorts either. We also asked Charlie and Lily what they thought about why there's so much shame around our periods. I think it's more just probably because it's been so unspoken about for so long that, like, when something isn't spoken about, it tends to feel more shameful because it's like you're keeping a secret when really... Yeah. it Like, it's not. We all go through it. It's all normal. But being open and honest, I think, takes a lot of the shame away from it, actually. It just becomes more natural for people to have a conversation about what, when you're on and stuff and what's going on. We are sponsored by PHS. PHS supplies schools with period products which are free for any and all learners who need them, whenever they need them. No questions asked. I actually want to go back to your point, thinking about like long term and like the idea that this is going to take time. I really want to go back to your point about like you find that male teachers are way more open to these conversations or willingness to learn and be aware of these products. And then I'm going to flip that, I suppose, back to Richie, right? Your your expertise is with working with men and boys and maybe you might need to give like a bit of backstory, a bit of insight into why certain topics are so difficult to talk about when you're a man or in respect of like masculinity, patriarchy, these types of things. But I feel that you were just as surprised as I was when Molly said that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can speak if you like, but I'd rather sit here and listen to I Molly. Would, I, would love, yeah. I would love for you to speak. <laughs> I would love for you to speak. Uh, yeah, I was massively surprised by that. 
I yeah. guess like letting it percolate a bit, starting to make some sense. But at first, I was like, "What? You got that wrong." Um, I think there must be an element of like curiosity that, like, an in. I feel like with a lot of different conversations, maybe this being one of them around periods. A lot of men and boys are just waiting for an invite to a conversation they've never had before, but they never see an invite. No one ever holds out a hand and goes, hey, come on and talk about this. True. I couldn't tell you where that was. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, and then there is curiosity, but it needs like an invite because I think there's a lot of policing, you know, boys policing other boys upon what they should and shouldn't be talking about mm-hmm. or interested in. And you don't want to like sit outside of that mainstream because there's consequences if you do. Talking about like social capital and things like that, like, the idea that like you need to stay cool and look like you're doing yeah, the right thing like, with your yeah. mates. If you're with your boys, like why are you the one like, you know, quizzing someone about periods? Like that would yeah. be seen as like, yeah, that you'd lose some social capital for that. Yeah. So you don't. But so I, maybe that makes sense with like some of the teachers like being like, all right, this is my chance to actually step in, learn a little bit. And maybe there is like a teacher's mindset. And I'm not a teacher of like the further you are away from something, the easier it is to teach, maybe like because yeah. I don't know. I'm putting like, you know, things together and correlation doesn't always equal causation. But I think more broadly with men and boys. Yeah. A lot of conversations are like off the table they're off the menu you don't talk about that and like i don't think it's the work of people who have periods to be doing the work to educate men right because it's another thing another one for the list yeah the men need to be educated about so i think it's like if you're gonna just be a compassionate human being let alone an ally like you got to do that curiosity and do that learning a bit yourself or a lot yourself maybe yeah for sure um, And I, but I think it's, that's the idea right is that even when you know I say it to the boys of the idea that you know one of them said to me once like oh what am I supposed to do just like walk up to a girl and be like oh have you got your period are you alright and I was like please never do that <laughs> please absolutely never do that you know or like what am I supposed to do like give her a tampon and I was like again no <laughs> I think the idea is that because like period shame is so normalised like it's such an ingrained part of our culture that sometimes just asking them to talk about this and think about it they want to know when they're going to need to know it and I'm like this might come up like less than five times in your life where you might need to be a little bit compassionate and more knowledgeable about it whereas for them I think sometimes they hear that I need to learn this because it's something I need to be doing each and every day right and I think that sometimes they feel a bit like well where where am I going to talk about this and that's that's also an indication is because we just don't talk about it it isn't something that's considered and so you look at that from the conversation of like 12 year old boys all the way up to what are like 50 year old men in workplaces now who don't talk about it, won't talk about it, will never consider it in any sort of manner. So that's when we're seeing the impact on women and menstruators in the workplace because those are also the boys that, at 12 years old, never got to talk about this. So even in the small amount of times it may come up for them, it doesn't exist at all. What are like some of the key ways or most impactful ways that men can open up about some of these is there like tips and tricks if we're if you're a male teacher listening to this wanting to talk to about your class you're a bit hesitant you're a bit unsure is there anything you could be like think about this i think i'd love to give you a magic bullet and everyone a magic bullet but there isn't one there isn't one otherwise we'd all be retired in barbados we do say that a lot (laughs) (laughs) but i do think like the way in working with boys and men always and i'll do it in whatever space is go in with questions around feeling rather than thinking yeah 
It's got to be the starting point because I think it's very easy to abstract something. It's very easy to get into like debates about things um, and people being very conceptual. And it removes your actual connection with the conversation. It removes any emotion. So it's always go with feelings first. What do you feel about this? I think using like the definitions which need to be used, don't talk around the subject. Um, all these different euphemisms which come up. Like, yeah, I think you'll get discomfort and laughter, but that's because men don't know what they're talking about. So it's like, ah, let's make some jokes about this. That will happen. But I think after you move through all that, like giggles and laughter and discomfort and not making eye contact, people will be curious. And it's really thinking, what do you feel? Then what do you think? I think the approaches to it would be like using language which needs to be learned, but then like really breaking down that language. Mm -hmm. And then that's all very centering men and boys in the conversation. I think the important step there is then going, well, yeah, okay, we've talked about our experiences, our understanding, the words we use. How does this impact people who are actually having periods? So it's like, and how the, what role can we play as allies, if you want to use that word, or just compassionate humans, friends, you know, family members, partners, whatever, how can you actually understand their experiences and support them with that? Yeah. So I think it's doing, it's encouraging men and boys to do the learning themselves. And it's not saying you can't ask a question, but it's not about putting it on people who have periods to do all the educating. I'm going to share another quick fact, which I was pretty shocked by, maybe sad about. So two-fifths of girls, 40% in the UK, are now likely to miss school or college over the next year due to their period, which is a rise of a quarter of 25% two years ago. So it's gone from 25% to 40%, which is sort of like this whole sort of conversation we've had, right? And I think even sometimes you'd see people recognise, no, things are changing. Like, it's on TikTok now, and I saw so-and-so talk about on Instagram. Like, visibly, like, you know, they're using red fake blood on period adverts now, and all these kind of things. We're seeing the difference and seeing changes, but we all also are seeing a rise in young people who are missing school. So I think also that, like, education piece around, you know, it still needs to move forward. I think we can be pretty sure that shame is still playing a massive role in that. I think that pupils missing school because of their period does come into different sections. And when you think of, let's say, if you put yourself in that position, which I can, and I go, right, I miss school, you never think for one moment that, oh, someone else might be off school because of this. You feel completely alone and isolated in that time. Even if you can talk to someone about your period, if you're having a really difficult time, whether that shame and embarrassment comes from stigma, poverty, or the general side effects that you get from your period, you can feel very isolated. We're looking at, you know, coming at it from a stigma side. I think that links in with education. I remember sitting my GCSE English literature exam in agony. I was in so much pain from stomach cramps, but there's nothing you can do. You know, the invigilators don't know what to do. You can say something, but they say, that's it, you just have to get on with your exam. Mm -hmm. And I know I did really, really badly on ex that exam and it reflected because of that period. Being in excruciating pain and being really unwell isn't normal and does require medical attention, but people don't know it because we don't learn about it. So pupils may not want to go to school as well from a side of, yeah, okay, I have products, but what if I'm in pain? What if I'm uncomfortable? What if I have a double lesson and I'm not allowed to go to the toilet halfway through? I've got to sit there for two hours. Yeah. And you can, you know, I feel that sometimes when I go on my period, I know 
you just know when it's happening. Yeah. And that can be really daunting and uncomfortable to sit in for two hours. And they don't allow you still to go to the toilets in schools. There's a big thing of, you know, when are they going to abuse this privilege? Right. But it can affect your education, affect your learning, you know, just feeling so uncomfortable and embarrassed in school can have a massive effect on just your education in general and how you're going to be able to concentrate in that lesson. Yeah. Can I say that, like, I've got a statistic for you. Okay. Right? One third of the people sat around this table had never really thought about the fact that girls and women are missing school because of period pains. I hadn't really ever thought about that. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, it's amazing, like, hearing, like, that statistic come out in reality because I'm like, whoa. Of course, but it never really crossed my mind. Yeah, for sure. But also, if you've never been told about it, if you've never been educated, if you've never seen it, I mean, I always say this, how many times, besides a period ad, have we seen someone with a period on TV? You don't. Like, and also <laughs> the times when you have seen them, I don't think I'm allowed to say the name of the movie, but like most of the time when it's in the movies, it's a, like a really negative representation of that too, right? You're not even seeing someone with their period having a great time. You're either seeing them having not the best time, or a man is being really rude and mean and gross about it, right? Yeah. So I think, like, again, it feels frustrating, but also if we're not taking a step back and saying, okay, these are all the barriers, actually, how can we address all of them? And one of the main ones being education for young people, but then at the same time, like, sometimes you see it in the workshops and the teachers, like, sat in the corner of the room, and I can see that they're learning at the same rate as the kids, you know, and I want to have that like dialogue with them in terms of like, what do you think? And you see them looking at me sometimes like, don't ask me, <laughs> do not ask me anything. And I'm like, got you, you know, but that in some ways, like, you know, it creates a little like a bit of a vibe. And it's funny sometimes, but realistically, teachers shouldn't be learning at the same rate as their students, right? No, no, no. <laughs> Social media is excellent, especially when we're trying to do the type of work that we're doing, because it's how you reach a lot of people, and especially the younger people who can be influenced. People feel more comfortable sitting there in their own environment, being behind a screen and watching and learning, as opposed to someone, you know, as if I was to sit down and talk to them here and now. You know, you wouldn't feel comfortable with that. But of course, then you've got the other side of social media where, you know, there's a lot of misinformation we don't know what is true or yeah. what isn't true you know all these um period memes which are great and we share some of them but you don't always get the right information across or statistics that maybe someone shared that isn't quite right or myths so um myths yeah, yeah it's a big one we've really addressed that on tiktok with things like um you can't walk through the woods when you're on your period you can't My gosh, go let's swimming. list some of them because i feel like if you haven't heard period myths between us we might be able to get them richie might just sit here and be like what That's but swimming with sharks so like, or something yeah like your period blood attracts sharks mm. would you say walking yeah. through the woods yeah you can't walk through the woods you, uh, get you can't make mayonnaise because you'll curdle you can't what? ride a horse yeah. Right. Um, what other ones are there? There's those myths that go around like, oh, well, um, when I'm on my period or uh, these days around my period for the whole week or the whole two weeks, I cannot get pregnant. What was the other one? Like if um, you can only use tampons if you're not a virgin, right? Like the yeah. idea of this is something that I think sticks around a lot, which I know sometimes can stick to some people from where they're like, their cultural beliefs can come into this. I know that certain communities don't use products that are like are inserted because of this kind of conversation around hymens and virginity. But I think at the same time, that is something that sticks there. Another thing that comes up a lot with young people is they're like, should I start using tampons when I'm 14? Like the idea that they have to start using pads and then go on to tampons as if it's like an upgrade. And that's something that I remember when I was at school is that, you know, it was the older girls that used tampons because that proved that you were a bit older. 
I think also the idea with myths and I suppose with stigmas as well is that they might always just be there. And this is something I try and explain like to the young people, but also when we're talking to adults about this as well, like doing workshops in corporates, is the idea that there are certain things that we think about periods and it might not go away, but you can still do sort of do something to challenge it, right? So I wouldn't ask you both. What's either your the first stigma you remember learning about periods or the stigma that still sits there that you're like, I'm still working on that one. Like the idea that period blood is dirty, right? That like mm-hmm. the idea of seeing period blood versus blood, like if you're watching a war movie, right? I don't really like them, but, and I'm not like, oh, oh my gosh, blood, right? But then if I watch something and someone's period blood was shown, I'd be like, oh, shocking. <laughs> well, just on that, I find it interesting that a lot of guys, like if someone was started talking about a period, they'd be like, don't, no, no, that's gross, that's disgusting, and then turn around and like put on the war film or whatever, you know, immediately yeah. with blood everywhere, and you'd be like, a video game. wait a second. Yeah. Maybe something to do with sex. Okay. Um, either it being something like gross or disgusting if someone's on their period and being like a time to avoid it having sex or being like oh like, that's not okay or like you know it being the responsibility of someone to tell them first you know that they're on their period or the flip side of that being that it's like almost like this sought after thing like a badge of honor to have sex with somebody or like penetrative sex when they're on their period so it being like oh like you know because there's something more like gross or like a weird bro culture kind of thing you're talking maybe, about maybe yeah 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 like so there's kind of two sides to that coin when it comes to penetrative sex they're like being like oh it's like a you know it's almost like braver or like you know like oh you know I went and had you know sex with someone on their period with your face my right face, now oh my god <laughs> so yeah I was, I, is that a stigma I guess that's a stigma right thinking about it it makes sense I'm shocked that you've said it oh. but now thinking I'm like oh my gosh that could actually be a thing yeah <laughs> like I'm not thinking that is ridiculous that definitely doesn't happen hmm. but I, I kind of understand Our brain's like, that I just don't want to engage with that yeah maybe I'll it... pretend I never heard that yeah <laughs> sorry. Really sorry no it's, it's good that's I what we should be talking about okay <laughs> I'm not sorry yeah. I'm not sorry <laughs> where we're trying to figure out like where all of this is coming from and also I think like often I know we always want to talk about like the cultural question, right? Like, this is something I find that... So, my mum is white British, my dad is black Jamaican. And if people approach me to talk about periods, they love to be like, so what do both sides of your family think about it? But they're just saying, what does your black side of the family think about it, right? Mm-hmm. As if this idea that, like, Caribbean communities, African communities, etc., are, like, so, like, vehemently against any period talk. And my answer is always like, yeah, they both just don't like talking about it. Like, both sides... It doesn't matter. And so I think sometimes we can have this idea that certain cultures, certain communities, certain religions are really against this any sort of period talk, which, whatever, right? But the idea being that no one's really that good about talking about periods, right? Like the way they set up is this like binary. And I think actually the sometimes the more interesting part of that conversation is the generational bit, right? So like grandparents versus parents, versus us, versus maybe someone who's a little bit younger now, right? That someone's maybe 10, 11. And looking at that, do you feel like you see the difference there massively, Molly, in your work? 100% between each, you know, each and every section. But the only bit that remains the same is that no one likes talking about it. No one. So the shame shame is still there. (laughs) The shame is still there. It's just a different language or understanding of what that may be. The Blobcast. Free the period.
Molly, I want to ask you, I mean, obviously, in a conversation about shame, right, like one of the key bits that this comes from is the unfortunate reality that lots of people still cannot access period products due to affordability. And we're not just talking about fantastic, fancy CBD tampons. We're just talking about being able to access basic products to get them through their period. Can you share a little bit about that? that you've kind of seen and understood in your work and how shame kind of plays a big role in the fact that people can't access those products? Yes, of course. So we have lots of people access Love Your Period all the time for a number of different reasons. And when we first began Love Your Period, it was actually solely for period poverty. And someone always has to be available to give those products to them or have them out if they don't want to make contact with us. And of course, over COVID, when everything was locked down, we saw those people needing products more than ever. And And specifically in Wales, I was going on the Welsh Government and saying, right, we've been in lockdown now for four months. Nothing's happened. What's going on? We've been in lockdown now for six months. People need access to these products. We have lots of young people come to us specifically for their families and that give us permission to anonymously use their stories. One particular person who accessed Love Your Period during the exams last summer Mm -hmm. only found out about us because she'd started her period during an exam and the invigilator wouldn't give them products because they could use them for cheating. And it was then that... Oh, my goodness. (laughs) A friend turned around to her and said, that is a lot. I'm sorry. I really am so happy I never have to do exams at school again. But wow, like that is so annoying. And it's a story I always use because she phoned me in hysterics. And usually, you know, I don't take phone calls and things, but I'm so glad that I broke my own rule and did it this time. Yeah. And I said, look, OK, give me a call. We'll have a talk. And she was she was like, I'm outside school. I'm waiting for my mum to pick me up. This has happened. And now she's a part of Love Your Period. And she does campaigning with us, volunteering. But the fact that something like that had to happen yeah, for something them so to awful find. had to bring her to yeah. that point. Like, like, can we, like, find our entry point through joy here and not exactly. through trauma? Yeah. And I feel like we've made lifelong connections with families simply because every month they come to us to get products. And whenever we have someone new, I say to them, did you know that you can get these products for free at your school or here or there? And they go, no. So it's a fine line of, you know, we can scream and shout all that we want and love your period, do share this message every day. But there are people that do have that responsibility to share it because ideally, love your period won't need to last forever and I won't need to be in a position where I'll have to be hopping over big boxes and big bags of products just to get into bed at night. You know, that doesn't need to be the case when these products are already there. Yeah. They're just not visible. So that's how the, where the shame comes in them because they're just hidden away and people don't know about them. And, you know, on the it, it looks like from a higher level that things are working, but there are those tiny little miscommunications that are having huge impacts. Yeah. So, of course, another story that Love Your Period has heard, and again, that I've had permission to share anonymously, was um, somebody who newly came to us to access products and said that um, we've I've always bought them. I've never had an issue. Um, but since, you know, the prices of everything have gone up and, you know, we, we saw the tampon tax go and it's like it never went now because they were more expensive than when the tampon tax went anyway. Brilliant. These products are just, you know, they're a nightmare. And even I think of it and I go shopping and I think... Gosh, it does run through my mind. I think, right, no, I'm not going to get them. But then I think, no, I have to. I have to get them, you know, for my safety. So I spoke to this person. She said, yeah. um, I said, so when did you stop buying these products? 
And she said, probably at the end, you know, when we came out of lockdown. I said, were you aware of what we do? She said, no, I just, um, it came up on like a social media advert and then that's how I found you. I didn't really know otherwise. I said, did you know that your school offer you free products? She said, no. I said, if you don't mind me asking, how have you been getting by by yourself? And she said, well, my mum tried really, really hard to get these products, but it wasn't something that was accessible to us anymore. So I'd go to school and then I'd use my dirty sock overnight and then I'd use the other sock to go to school the next morning. So not only are we talking about a sock here, which isn't, of course, adequate safety, but we're also talking about a dirty sock sock. with that bacteria. And and she said, I had no other choice. And I said, look, no one's mad at you. No one's having a go at you. You weren't to know this. And that's okay. And I'm really glad that we've now found someone else who needs access to these products that knows that they can call me or turn up at any time to get those. There's only so many people that you can actually reach unofficially, you know, and only so many people that are going to be able to find out about the services that you run or the support that you offer, um, no matter how loud you shout about it. And, you know, that's just one story. And looking at how these levels and the statistics that you've shared today from the PHS group, that's going to be happening more than we could ever imagine. Right. And that lack of education then links to that shame of not wanting to ask because she'd gone so many months without asking linked to, you know, poverty. All three of them intertwine and it can get into really dangerous situations. For sure, no, definitely. And like you're saying already, like, the product should be there in schools, they should be able to be using them. But then, and I say, again, like, hearing certain people have this conversation and talking about it, but realistically this idea coming out that kids are being, like, means-tested to be able to access the products in a similar way to, like, free school meals, right? So if you're getting free school meals, that means you're the ones that are getting access to the products or not. This is something that people have been saying around, but to me is kind of shocking that that would even exist when you have all the products there. I don't know if you've heard anything like that. It is. I remember when this first came out in Wales that that was something I heard a lot, that these products were only for those who access free school meals. Now, we know now that actually probably every single pupil in school if you think about it, should have access to free school meals looking at prices. And I don't see why these products are there. The funding is there. Isn't it supposed to be that everyone's just supposed to have them? No questions asked. Like, that's just how it should be. And we shouldn't be saying to anyone, you know, we run this thing of women aren't the only ones that have periods and not all women do have periods. Exactly. doesn't matter, you know, whether you're a trans woman or a cis woman or however you identify, you know, periods aren't just a gender thing. It doesn't work like that. So we have had a lot of people come forward. And even if I look at them and think, well, no, I don't think. But if someone would look at them and think, why are they getting sanitary products or period products? That's not something I think in my mind now. You just take them because you need them. I don't think the money that you have affects the period that you have. And I don't think it should be seen in that way. We view periods since these schemes have come in, I feel like they're viewed as a financial thing. Whereas actually we need to separate the two and realise... And just be a bit more human. Just a health thing. This is a healthcare issue. That's it, right? It is. Definitely. And they need to be separated 100%. And there is, you know, no one deserves a period product more than someone else Mm -hmm. just because they fit into a category or because they identify a certain way or they're from different countries in the world. I feel like none of that should make a difference, but that I think we have those prejudices. If you believe in something or you think something is wrong, which I think a lot of young people that I speak to, you know, all of them think, well, I'd I'd never go and talk about periods on my own or do what you've done with Love Your Period. But, you know, I'm happy to be a part of the conversation and make the change, small change that I can. So something I always say to anyone I talk to is 
if not you, then who? And if not now, then when? It's easy for me to sit here and say, you know, I'm lucky that I got to the position that I am and I'm doing this today. But I worked for that because I wanted to make a change. Anyone has the ability to do that. And as you say, everyone has an equal responsibility to make a change here. And I really think that young people can be the driving force of that. Someone's got to start. And, you know, we're, we're getting there, but we need more people to join in order for us that difference to really be made. So, you know, I think anyone can just stand up and go, you know what, I can play my part and we all have that responsibility to do yeah, so. Yeah, love that. Get it on a tee. Get it on a tee. Boom. But also, yeah, and I think sometimes there's pressure that if you are going to make a change, you've got to be like making a global change. But actually, it's like you can just make a change in your classroom, like in your school, like in your home. Like that's also important, whereas sometimes I think we're a little bit overwhelmed with this like kind of online activism, knowing more about amazing people who live the world doing incredible stuff. And sometimes I think that that can dissuade people from wanting to do something because they're like, well, I'll never be able to do all that. Yeah. And it's like, of course you won't. <laughs> Me too. I, but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I also think even before like those actions, like just using, leaning into the language around it is really important. It's like speaking the yeah. world that you want to create yeah. and manifesting it. And then those actions will then follow and committing to that. But like even just using the words around it that need to be used, removing all these like euphemisms and jokes, like speak it. And then like the actions will become infinitely easier. And I also want to say, like, I've been sat next to Molly, who's been saying so many mic drop things here. Like, <laughs> why did you attach her mic so, like, heavily to a stand that she can't drop it? Like, it's just, just not... Just throw it at the wall now. It's I mean, not OK. Just love it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you both so much. This has been enlightening, fun, educational and enjoyable. Um, of course, please check out Love Your Period and the fantastic work that Molly does. And hit up Richie at Beyond Equality or do a yoga class with him. In South London. In South London. Thank you so much, Braith. And I'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Casey. <laughs> my name's Molly, and I started my period when I was eight years old. My name's Richie, and when I was eight years old, I'd never heard of a period. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And now I'm 38 years old. This is the longest conversation I've ever had about periods. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Blobcast, where open conversations are our thing. Now, we want you to do the same in everyday life. Tell people that you're on your period, talk about your bleeding, and don't hide your period products. The more you talk, the more shame and stigma can be broken down. And the more that happens, the more we can free the period. We are sponsored by PHS. PHS supplies schools with period products which are free for any and all learners who need them, whenever they need them. No questions asked. If you're a teacher or a student listening to this, you can find downloadable resources on the PHS website. The link is in our episode description. Don't forget to follow us on our social channels. Just search for The Blobcast. <laughs>